After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Gomez. In this episode, I interview the amazing Bonnie Hanks. After listening to this very podcast, Bonnie actually ended up choosing a path she didn't think she was capable of doing. I love the conversation that we had. I can't wait for you to listen in as we chat all about her journey from teaching to becoming a junior front-end developer. Hi, Bonnie. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, I am so excited to have you on here today. Uh, You will be the second teacher career coach podcast interview that I've done with someone who has become a software engineer, but I'd love to get started and know a little bit more about what got you into teaching um, and your your history in education as in general. Um, I kind of truthfully fell into teaching. It wasn't something that I had thought growing up that I would do. I know that I wanted to help people when I was little. So I thought doctor is the way to go. And my mom is Chinese. So she was very encouraging of that. Right. And then I took my first health course in middle school and I was like, I don't think I could handle med school. I didn't know what to do at that point. So I just kept on doing the best I could in my classes. I knew I was pretty good at science and math. So I'm like, let's be an engineer. I don't know what they do. Let's try it. So I went to a school that was good for engineering, ended up not being good at that. I was like, okay, so what am I going to do? I'm good at math and science. Well, let's I'll probably go to grad school for science, for bio. That's what I was majoring in. Um, Then it turned out that I didn't enjoy doing research. I went to a school where I had the opportunity to actually work in research labs as an undergraduate, for which I am so grateful. So I didn't have to spend a bunch of money and go to grad school and find out I didn't like it there. So I tried to look back at the things that I enjoyed doing. And I liked tutoring math in high school, which to me was like, I like tutoring. I'm going to like teaching. And now as a teacher, former teacher, like that, those are not at all the same. But that's what made sense to me at the time. And there were aspects of teaching that I liked, but that's how I ended up getting there was by a lot of meandering routes. This didn't end up working out. Let's try something else. See what happens. When did you start to make the actual decision that you wanted to exit the teaching profession? Maybe about halfway through. So I taught eight years at in high school and middle school. And I remember when I first was first starting, people told me it'll get easier after a few years, you'll hit your stride. And they had told me third year was what did it for them. Third year came and went, still wasn't getting easier. All right, I gotta, I gotta keep on trying. I didn't wanna be one of the people who drop out in the first five years statistic. So I became the other half of that statistic. After year five passed, I'm like, I'm still not getting this. I'm still having trouble. I'm still really not having energy and I am not really enjoying most of what is involved in that. And so I didn't know what else to do. So I kind of just tried little things at a time to see what kind of path I might end up liking outside of teaching. But I knew, I guess from the get-go, I wasn't going to be able to continue through until retirement. Gosh, that's such an interesting point that you made about that statistic that everybody kind of dangles over your head as a first-year teacher in your first few years. They say, oh, people always drop out you know, within the first five years. And so everybody wears that like a badge of honor, like, 
oh, well, I got through my first five years of teaching or I have to make it. I, you know, they tell themselves, I have to make it to the end of five years so that I don't become that statistic. But how many times in our lives prior to taking this profession did you actually trust your gut and your intuition before five years popped up? Like five years is a long time to go with something that if you already know in your heart, like, oh, I don't think that this is a good long-term fit. Why would you push yourself three more years or three and a half more years? That's a really Um, good point. It is because in new positions, it takes a good, I will say for anybody who's just starting their new position outside of the classroom, you are going to have imposter syndrome. You are going to struggle with those same feeling of, of unease for a good six months or one year. But five years is a very long time for somebody to tell you, wait this period of time <laughs> to figure out if this is the right path for you. Absolutely. I think that for some people, I know my sister is kind of in a similar situation where she's like, I just got to get this many more years so I can pay off my student loans. And for some people, that's a good reason to stay in. And so it was good for me to stay in those few years. I don't know that I had to do five or even eight to get to where I was, but I, d- I did learn and grow in ways that are benefiting me now. So instead of dwelling on the what could have happened if I hadn't stayed in something I didn't like for that long, right now I'm trying to focus on, I, I gained these soft skills that I can use in presentations here. I'm a lot more comfortable talking to people than a lot of my peers at my current job and things like that. There, there are good things that I gained from teaching as well. And I always think that the stars align for all of us in our own unique path at the exact same right time. Even if it is a yucky path that got us there, And it sounds like the stars really aligned for you and put the right position for you at the right time, which if you would have taken a a position a year and a half prior to that, it may have not been something where you were truly happy or you wouldn't have been prepared for it, or it may have just been a like for now position. So I love your perspective on that. Getting into actually what it is that you do now, how did you start to discover what types of careers you were the most interested in. So within the course, we had a a book club where um, designing your life was mentioned. And so I really took that to heart. I was like, I'm going to design my life. I think it was like my late 20s, just turning 30. I'm like, okay, everything's going to change. I'm going to be in a real adult now. So I had tried to plan out for a few different paths. I know that I really got into a state of flow when I was creating curriculum. That's what I really ended up liking with teaching just making these lessons that were really engaging, that I knew were polished, I was ready to present them. And that didn't bother me, but the creation was what I really liked. And so that was one aspect that I was going to go ahead and pursue. And another one was like having to do with audiobook narration. And another one was like with coding, because that was brought up um, in the community as well. When I had heard the previous podcast of, of Software Engineer, I was like, there's no way I can do that. Because I had taken a computer science course in college I felt so incredibly stupid. I did not understand what was going on. And so I had just completely written off coding. It wasn't even on my map until people kind of repeatedly brought it up. Oh, I hadn't thought of this before. That episode was really mind opening. And I'm like, maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe I should check it out. And it turned out I went to a webinar, a free webinar to see if you would enjoy beginning coding, just front end development. And I really liked the puzzle solving that that it entailed. So I think one thing that I'm hearing you say right now is you were focusing on curriculum writing because on paper, as a teacher, you were like, I like the the entire process of this project. I like putting something together with the beginning, the middle, the end. Really what's truly speaking is like you are a builder. 
you like to build things. You like to see things come like to life. And it's easy to like niche yourself into that. How do I build as an educator? And that's curriculum development, which that could be the right fit for so many people here who might have a stronger love for like the English language or might have a strong like love for um, history. Like they want to just continue to research and just do that. But you just like to see things be built. Does that sound accurate? Partially. And I think another aspect that really worked well with like the front end development I'm doing now is making sure everything was optimized. Things that looked well, um, not just were eye-catching, but made it so the students knew what they were supposed to do and what they were supposed to pay attention to and it wasn't distracting. And that's something that's actually helpful in my job now with our lead UX designer. He's trying to come up with things that are gonna direct the user to what they're supposed to do. Like, oh, that's that's kind of what I was trying to do as a teacher. So yeah, I hadn't thought about being a builder before, but that makes sense. Yeah, I've been listening to, there's another career coach, her name's Ashley Stahl. Uh, she has a book called U-Turn and she lays out all of these, uh, I think she calls them core skills. And some people are, you know, words is their passion. Words is their passion. I don't know if that's how I'm supposed <laughs> to say that, but words are their passion. Um, but that means spoken word, written word. And as she was going through all the different ones, I was really reflecting on myself and I heard her say the word builder. And I started to think about all the different things that that could fall into. That could be a, you know, a user experience designer. That could be a software engineer. That could be a curriculum writer. There, there are so many things that fall into that same category. And like, I feel like it's so easy in our first few steps of picking our new career to back ourselves into a corner of what we think we like. And we're usually on the right track, but we have to be a lot more open to these other opportunities as well, because we would potentially be happy there. Um, once you started to explore software engineering and give it, you know, more thought, what were your next steps there? Did you start to take more online courses? Did you find yourself going to any boot camps? Um, I had researched a few different boot camps. Um... I went with the people who had provided the webinar that I attended. It was a cheaper set of workshops where it was all self-directed. I was still teaching at the time, so I didn't want to have a live component where it's like I had to be at class at a certain time. I wanted to be able to go when I had time and take some time to work slower if that's what I really needed. And so I went with those workshops, a bit less comprehensive, but it gave me a good understanding of what I needed. And then once I finished those, I started applying and then also used um, like LinkedIn Premium to kind of further my understanding and deepen my knowledge about these different topics. I tried different other websites, their free versions, and just tried to build up as much as I could while I started to apply. And you just kept updating your resume to reflect all of the learning that you had been doing, probably using the teacher career coach course resume um, support, or were you like just kind of taking them and, and moving along? It, okay, so I don't have a good answer for this. It's kind of in between. So I had used the course to develop those other career paths, like really ATS friendly resumes and everything and use the right verbiage. That was for like the curriculum developer that I thought I might be. And then on the coding side, I was like, I don't really know how to translate all these things. I'm going to use a really lame template, actually, which actually probably wasn't ATS friendly. But I was like, I'm just starting. I'm good. As I continue, I will update this. And then uh, the stars aligned and I got a job before I actually had to revamp that. Oh, wow. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your interviewing process for a 
position like this, if you don't mind sharing, um, how many interviews did you have to do? I think it was three or four. Some of them were informational. So I don't know if you would count that as like an actual interview. Uh, truth be told, I, I was very fortunate to get hired at the first company that interviewed me. So I don't have an extensive amount of experience for what interviewing looks like for this particular job. But for this particular company, they had been wanting someone to kind of mentor and train up who didn't have experience yet in this field, but had a solid understanding. So I was like, oh, I happen to be a really good candidate for this. And they're an ed tech company. So they liked that I was a former teacher. So the first interview was kind of saying, here's, I guess it was kind of like a personality assessment. And here's what your second interview will kind of be. So they sent me home with a project, try to recreate this this thing, we give you a picture, recreate it using code. This is what it should be able to do. You have a week. It was not using the framework that I learned in my workshops, actually. It was using a completely different framework. So I used Google and Stack Overflow a lot. I lived on there. I took a couple of personal days from work to be able to just really research. And I was determined to like wow them with my determination and resilience. And apparently they were wowed. So when they came back, um, I, I emailed them my project. I was like, I know I didn't do X, Y, Z that was required. I know that these are some of the steps that I need. I just don't know how to do that yet. Here are the things that I did do. And I actually thought I hadn't done well enough. So I, I emailed them saying, please keep me in mind for future positions. And then they responded with, actually, you did well enough where we want to interview you again. So I'm really grateful I actually sent that email instead of just saying, I'm sorry, I didn't finish sad face. Yeah, I think that there are a couple different frames of thoughts of when you have one of those projects and being, you know, asked to produce something, you start to panic and you think, I'm just going to bluff and say, this is great as is. I don't want to point out my flaws, but I think that showing the awareness of I can bullet point where I am lacking in this actually showed them, especially in this particular position that you had the awareness of this is what I need to research next. And it also showed that you understood as an educator what other people may potentially need to know because you're going to be in charge of training other people in the same capacity. So I think you did the exact perfect thing here when it came to following up with a detailed, this is where I know that I need to grow, but I'm capable of growing here. I just did not have the time to do it. Yeah, I wish that's the frame of mind that I had at the time. I think it was like very much imposter syndrome. Like I don't belong here, but you know what? You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. I'm just going to email them and then it's in their court. I've done what I can. So I'm glad that I did. And they did see it how, how you framed it. They were like, yeah, it's really good to notice that you realize that you're missing these things. That awareness is really important. Um, you actually did really well in these other things. And I hadn't been expecting positive feedback at that point. Like we're, we're still interviewing me and you're telling me I'm doing a really good job on this. Well, thank you. The interview after that, um, they talked a little bit about what things would need to be fixed. I think they, that was mostly an email, but then the people that I would actually be working with on the team, the team manager and the person that was going to be acting as my mentor were the people in the next interview. And they asked me some basic questions about like how the internet works. Like what does HTML mean? What is HTTP? How does the internet know what to render? And honestly, I had very basic understandings of that. So my explanations may not have been like very technical, but they could tell I had the, the right idea. I had the big picture. And then I got to do a little bit of pair programming with the person who would be my mentor. He's like, here's this little problem. How would you do this? So I wrote the code with him. He's like, yes, that's one way to do that. Another way would have been this. So again, even while interviewing me, 
they were also giving me feedback and I was learning at the same time. So I, I still wasn't expecting it to go anywhere, but I was like, I am learning a lot. This is great. I feel so much better than I did when I first like started interviewing with all this imposter syndrome. And then after that, it was kind of like, hey, we have another candidate we're also interviewing. So we're not sure where things are going to go, but you're one of the final two. We'll keep you updated. So any of the like, interviews that I had after that were mostly informational, what kind of negotiations, I guess, um, keeping me apprised of what the situation was with the other candidate as well. That that was it for this particular company. I am shook that it only took you, you know, one, one interviewing process to be able to find such a great fit. And also it's so apparent that the culture of this company is one that is compassionate, one that is nurturing to mm-hmm. new hires, um, new employees, it's welcoming. And that's something to look for. Not all hiring managers, not all people on the interviewing team are going to have the time to give that much clear feedback. So if you're listening and you haven't gotten that, don't get salty. They still might be <laughs> wonderful people on the other end. They are just scrambling to fill a position and busy in their own world. But when you do have someone who takes the time to to actually give you that feedback, that shows that that would be a company, even if you were turned down for an opportunity to potentially reach back out to and said, say, I loved this interviewing process. I loved getting to know your company. And if there is something in the future, please keep me in mind because it's it's clearly a company that you know supports and values and helps people grow. Once you started working at this company, what were your day-to-day duties and responsibilities in your new position? So generally, I kind of write code to um, help improve or build or redesign features according to a design that the, the UX designer comes up with. So it's like, here's a picture, here's a prototype, get things to look this way. Now, if I have to build a new feature, then I also have to make sure everything lines up right, the data is saved correctly, and things like that. But most of my day is writing code or researching how I'm supposed to write the code, which was, that was something completely different. Like I was encouraged and paid to learn my first couple of weeks. They're like, yeah, just work through this course so you can get a better understanding. Like, oh, getting paid to learn on on company time instead of having to do like after hours PD. Like that, that was novel. Many companies, I find that teachers who get or former teachers who get these types of positions, once they see an actual onboarding process at a different company, they're always kind of floored of, yeah, everything was really easy to, you know, they let us know all of their protocols. There's a full week of everybody showing all the different procedures. There's like all of these um, guidebooks and all these different resources to help us learn how to transition into this role where it's so funny coming from the classroom and maybe some schools, I hope that there are schools and districts that do this better, but really as teachers who are, professional trainers, there are not a lot of great getting started onboarding resources at the schools for us. There are Mm -hmm. so many go in that corner and here's a bunch of books and you figure it out yourself. And then you are locked in a room on your own. (laughs) When we have this one hour a week meeting, we're going to talk about something that's kind of disjointed from what you're really trying to focus on learning for that week. And Mm -hmm. I I feel like people are really shocked when they 
find out that other companies sometimes do teaching better than teachers do. <laughs> Absolutely. And the converse is also true, I think. Like sometimes with the PDs that I would have as a teacher, it felt like, why are we spending this long on team building? I know these people. I've worked with them. You don't know us. Like, wh why are you wasting my time? Whereas with this new company, it's like I was trusted to take the time that I needed, not more and not less. They, they weren't like scrutinizing my every move. They weren't forcing me to stay in really long meetings that were just kind of meant to check a box or anything like that. Just given that that flexibility and that autonomy and that kind of respect and trust was was really nice. The small things, the smallest things, even like the first time that you asked to go to the dentist on a work day or <laughs> anything oh, like that feels huge. It absolutely feels huge. When, um, when you came into the office, I think timeline wise, it probably was potentially in the middle of the pandemic. Are you a remote based position um, long term or are you in person? Is it flexible, hybrid? Uh, I think a lot of people who are looking into coding are under the assumption that many of these opportunities would potentially be remote. And I'm just uh, interested in, in learning a little bit more about what you've seen in that field. So I know that even before the pandemic, the tech team for our company was remote. So we had some other people that were in charge of, um, I don't know, like the, the main people, like the, the leadership team all was based in central um, Illinois. But now it's like, uh, everyone is remote after the pandemic, and it's going to be that way in, indefinitely. And so I think that depending on the company, it may be different for the tech team versus the other parts of the company, um, or companies might be fully remote. Some might still all be in person within like different um, different states. They might have a few different headquarters. It really just depends. But for me, it's really nice having things be remote and everyone's remote. So everyone understands the same kind of challenges for bonding compared to being in person. But then we also have this extra flexibility also because we're all across the country. It's like, we're all in different time zones. So it's like, get eight hours in in the day, whenever that happens, it, it doesn't matter to us. It's, it's really nice to have that flexibility. There's an expression that I feel like a lot of people use, like there's no fires in blank, whatever field it is. Like there's no fires in corporate chaining or there are no fires in you know software engineering. Like you have, work that you need to do. There are going to be deadlines that pop up, but it's not as urgent as here's six parents who are emailing you and they demand a response by 6 p.m. fire. Yeah, for sure. I think that there are some some fires that could potentially come up. I know that yesterday I was trying to take care of a ticket where it's like, hey, this was pushed to production and I wasn't expecting that. We need to do something to kind of roll that back. So I was working under a deadline, but typically like the only fires that you have to put out are if you're really higher in the organization, in which case you have other stakeholders to respond to versus a junior. Typically, you're not you're not under as much deadline pressure, which has been really nice. So you said there are a couple different like buzzwords or just the job titles. And I heard you say junior right now. Um, junior potentially always means entry level or less experience as far as like software engineering goes. But you also said front end developer, and I'd love to hear if you could kind of explain what's the difference between just on paper, a front end developer or potentially a software engineer. Uh, software engineer sounds a lot more fancy, but it, it's kind of a broader term. So I am dealing with software. I am engineering it, sure. But typically the stuff that I'm working on is what's called the front end. That's what a user would directly interact with. So like if you're on a website, the parts that you're clicking with, things that you're seeing, 
were all made by or coded by a front-end engineer or front-end developer. The back-end person is the one who kind of connects everything to the database, writes the programs that actually like store the information and things like that. I like being in the front end because I like the visual nature of that. And like you had mentioned earlier, being that builder, making sure that users know where to go and what to do and getting that immediate feedback. Did I write this code correctly? Let's look at the page. Oh, that doesn't look right. It's really nice to have that immediate feedback too. So that's kind of what a front end developer does is the things that the user would actually see. Yeah. And um, episode 55 of the podcast, I actually interview someone who is a user experience designer, which would be a position that you probably work with a lot on many of your projects. Uh, do you mind clarifying the difference between, because you also are a visual person, at least at how your company's organized, uh, what would the user designer do? And then what would you potentially do as far as visuals and layouts and feedback loops on, on how something actually is built or looks? Gotcha. I'm the one that kind of implements what the UX person actually designs. So he comes up with the, the prototypes. He comes up with a wireframe saying, this is, the this is the color that we want to use for this item. This is how big it should be. And he does all that research for um, what the current, like what the common patterns are in the industry, what kind of things are best for users. So he, that's his area of expertise. And then for me, I kind of just write the code that makes that happen. Like I know that it's supposed to be this color, this size, this area. So I write the code to like put it where it goes and do what it's supposed to. Have you started any of the um, training of new hires or is that further down the line for you in this career? That's further down the line, but they have already like the people at my company are enjoying that I am okay talking with people and presenting to people because that's not something that apparently is very common for people with in soft profession. <laughs> with software engineers, I will say that working at a couple of the technology companies, there was the, uh, I worked at a tech company that's one of the like biggest names in technology. Um, and when I was there as an instructional designer, I was on the bottom floor. I was working around the marketing team. I was working with um, sales enablement team, creating the teacher training programs um, for that specific company. Uh, all the like teacher certification programs, I was building the digital courses and all of that. And then up on the top tier of this two-story beautiful technology building, like looked like something out of a movie. This tech office of people, you know, if if you if you could think of someone riding a skateboard through the middle of the office, it looked like that. But up on the <laughs> second floor were all the software engineers, all of them, you know, drinking kombucha, playing board games all day, and hanging out with them with each other. But I I definitely get the vibe that many of them probably were not comfortable with presenting and training to other people, and also. Uh, very mixed, uh, depending on the company. I know that there's a lot of emphasis on trying to have more equity in their hiring. Um, but do you find that it's a male dominated role, uh, as far as your perception of it or the companies that you've worked at? Um, yeah, so this is, hmm, I've had the opportunity to be part of a group of people that is trying to increase diversity in the tech, the tech, uh, department within our company, because coming from teaching, I didn't see that kind of gender disparity. I happened to be teaching science, so it was actually evenly split between male and female, right? And in teaching, you typically don't run into as much, I guess, um, sexism or discrimination based on gender. With this place, I haven't felt any of that, but a lot of my colleagues have. 
And so it's been helpful to have me who hasn't had to face that. They're willing to kind of speak their concerns because some of them are like, oh, in past companies, I've been burned for speaking my mind. They thought I was being too aggressive. And I'm like, I don't get that feel from this company. I'll say it for you. And so it's been really nice. Um, in these meetings, they have talked about how a typical, I think on average within tech in the United States, it's about 30-ish percent women, about a third women compared to two thirds men. Yeah. And the company, once again, the culture at the company that you work for sounds amazing. So I did not anticipate there being problems with that. But even that 30%, it can feel intimidating coming from a women dominated space to go into something that's, you know, quote unquote, on paper, people think it's a, a man, like a men's industry. And that is also for anyone who is a little squirmish, um, and already mm -hmm. feeling a lot of imposter syndrome. I think that these types of roles are great fits for every single one of you. But it is something to take into consideration that you might have to stand your ground and you might have to say, hey, that was actually my idea that I just said five minutes ago that now you guys are pitching as your idea. And yes, because exactly. I have seen that happen time and time again at companies um, where, like you said, there there are examples of sexism and in the workplace of people listening to men's ideas a little bit more um, with more intention <laughs> than yeah. the women's ideas. And uh, it, it definitely shows when it comes to work-life balance. I think a lot of people looking into this type of position um, might be afraid that it would be, you know, a position you're just sitting at your computer and coding all day. That sounds miserable, Bonnie. That's just <laughs> how I know people might think about it. Mm -hmm. How does your day-to-day -day look with work-life balance? So I feel a lot more energized and rested than I did as a teacher, though I will admit it's a lot harder to get steps in the day because as a teacher, you have that built in. You don't have to like carve out extra time to just walk around. And I do find myself sitting at the desk a lot because I get into that state of flow and I don't notice how much time has passed. So I've actually set alarms for myself to be like, okay, now it's time to go like do some crunches or, hey, go walk to pick your daughter up from school because I can do that. I can take a later lunch to pick up my daughter. That's, that's really cool, right? Um, and I've seen on some other people's, some of my coworkers' calendars, they, they actually have carved out like a half hour block to just go for a walk. And things like that are highly encouraged. They're like, take brain breaks, make sure you're getting in exercise. Um, and you're allowed to do that whenever, as long as you end up getting like eight hours of work in, you're good. I love that. And I think that it also speaks to your enthusiasm and your passion for this role, because the same thing happens for me, where I get trapped loving a project that I'm working on and not realizing that four hours has passed that I'm just working on it. Um, and I also have to take similar brain breaks. It is important, especially with a remote position to recognize whether or not you are getting up and moving from the desk. And some people who are listening might realize that this might not be the right role for them. They might be focused more on something that, you know, I'd rather do something where I'm standing all day or walking a little bit more. Um, and, and, you know, that's everybody has their own personal preference. Uh, before we end the podcast, I know that you did mention a couple of different places where you found um, 
even just like free and cheap support for those who are getting started coding. I know you said that you Googled a couple of things. Do you have any websites or um, places that you would go for inspiration when you were just getting started that helped you learn and do more of a deep dive into the acronyms, the terminology that was used for coding? Yeah. So beyond the workshops that I took, I found that some of the like web development, like career paths that um, are on LinkedIn premium were really helpful. And I just like binged those during my trial, right? Similarly, when I was just starting at this position, we're using a different language than what I had learned. I used the trial for Codecademy for that. And I felt like I understood it way better than I would have before. And something that I hadn't considered at first is YouTube is actually really helpful for learning a lot of these things where it's like, I was expecting to just kind of read posts online, but then no, YouTube has a lot of like walkthroughs and you get to see people's screens as they're coding. And so those are free at first versus also free options on YouTube. Those were really helpful for me. And with something that's such, it's, it's such a deep, knowledge that that you're going to have to have like i don't want to sugarcoat this for anybody who's listening you Mm -hmm. should not piecemeal i know a little bit of it from this youtube video a little bit of this from youtube video you may end up wanting to do one of those longer boot camps to get it all in one location because it is a lot of information and it's it's gonna fast track you in a career that probably has a lot of ins and outs that you need to learn but there are free resources to help you dip your toes in the water to see if it's even the right fit for you before you commit fully um because that's one of the biggest things is you have to actually try something before you understand if you really like it or don't like it uh i also i played around with khan academy has free i think college level coding um i got through i would say four of 30 lessons before I realized I'm just going to outsource this and pay someone else to do it for me. Um, But I think that also is for anyone who is listening to this and interested. Uh, Bonnie, I wanted to ask you a question that I ask all the former teachers who come on the podcast, which is what did you learn about yourself um, throughout this entire process? Um, I learned I can dazzle with my, with my determination and resilience something that I really hadn't thought of as one of my like character strengths actually ended up getting me the job that I have now. Right. And that imposter syndrome is not like, does not define me. I, my career does not define me, even though it is a, it is what I spend most of my days on. It's where I spend a lot of my time and my energy, but I am so much more than that title and having a job where it really feels that way has been so empowering. I I can still teach without having to be a teacher. You know, I think that that's, you know, such an important lesson for so many people to learn is that teaching often becomes everybody's identity. So finding that next career is scary. I don't want to say that it's not scary or not a big decision, but we often put so much emphasis on making sure that it is the perfect career so that it aligns with our new identity. And it's not even necessarily for our own um, self-worth, it's because we want to be perceived a certain way from others because we were always, you know, celebrated. When you, you know, walk into the grocery store and they say, what do you do? And you say, a teacher, everyone falls over and says, (laughs) oh my goodness, you know, what a noble career. Everyone at Thanksgiving says, wow, 
you work with children, you're the best, you're the best position. And then after that, you're like, well, I don't want to tell people that I'm an accountant or like it, it just, (laughs) we struggle so much with that, but like our careers are a way to make money for us to Mm -hmm. be alive. And it's important to find something that you truly enjoy. You enjoy building, you enjoy doing, but you have a life outside of that. And that is what's truly the most important, being able to be there for your friends, for your family, make memories and continue to live. Like we are not meant to be 100% our careers at all times. And teaching is one of those professions that it's very, very hard to actually remove ourselves from that position on our off time. Yeah, fair enough. And one thing that you mentioned also is like, um, I don't know, some of the, the titles that you mentioned are things that we've heard of before. There's so many other jobs out there where it's like, I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to run into a kid that says, I want to be a program manager when I grow up. But like you hear about that when you're an adult. How are you going to know what kind of things are you enjoy unless you try those things out? And just being willing to kind of dip your toes into some things, try some free courses, try some, try asking your friends that are in in industries that you're interested in. What do they like about their job? What kind of things would they change if they could? Getting that kind of feel, just exploring, learning what these other options are, what these titles are that you've never heard anywhere else are, is is so I don't know. It's it's mind opening. It's crazy. Yeah. And just to add to that too, you know, teaching, like you said, no one has a child, nobody goes into it and is like, I want to become a, you know, a senior product manager. Like they don't, (laughs) unless they're, unless they're one of their parents are. Um, Mm -hmm. But teaching is one of those teaching doctor. I want to be like a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. All of those are, these are the oldest careers out there. So it's, yes, you may have wanted to be a teacher since you were a child, because it's one of those things that, one of those careers that has been around for so long, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's who you are when you are 30 years old, who you are when you are 40 (laughs) years old, just because it's the first career that you went into. And one of the things that's been changing in the last 100 years since teaching has been a profession, 1000 years since teaching has been a profession is careers are no longer linear. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be you're, you're a teacher, and then you're a principal. And those are the only things you can be a teacher. And then you can be a product manager. And then you can go from product management into sales. Or if you want to go from product management into user design, or if you want to become a manager, a director of sales or director of all of the sales enablement team. There are like so many different directions that you can go and so many opportunities out there, but we've boxed ourselves into one because Mm -hmm. it's the one that's so commonly said and we feel like it aligns to who we are, but it actually isn't, I think, hitting it on the nose. Like we want to serve, we want to be of service to people, we want to do things. Potentially we love learning, potentially we love building. All of us are unique in our own skill sets, but that was not necessarily the one thing that we could do, but it was the one thing we were told for so long that it's hard to like open our eyes to, you know, the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sorry, I went on a tangent at the very end there, <laughs> but you have been a delight to talk to. Um, I'm so excited. Every time we get to connect and see one another, it brings joy to my face because you are always one of the most active members in the Teacher Career Coach course community. I always see you hopping in there and helping all the um, teachers who are looking for this type of direction and just 
Thank you so much for coming on, taking the time to share your story, Bonnie. You have been a real pleasure to talk to. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. And thank you for the for the resources that you provide to people like me who know they don't want to teach, but don't really know what to do. You helped open my mind to other possibilities, which I would never have considered otherwise. Thank you so much. And I look forward to connecting again in the future and seeing where you go. Thanks. huge thank you to Bonnie for coming on and sharing her story with this audience. Now, during this interview, Bonnie and I chatted about her taking an online course that helped her land her position, um, becoming a junior front-end developer. And I wanted this audience to know that they can get a special 20% off discount of that very course at teachercareercoach.com forward slash she codes. Make sure to use that specific link teachercareercoach.com forward slash sheet codes for the 20% off offer. We'll see you on the very next episode of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. Once again, thanks for listening.